Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is August the 25th, 2016, and this is episode 1857 of the Survival Podcast. And as it's a Thursday, we will be doing a listener calls show. Yes, a listener calls show. Uh, this is where you call the Think Line, as we have been calling it for, oh, I guess eight years now. 866-65-THINK, 866-65-THINK. Leave me your comment, your question, your suggestion, whatever it is, and we'll try to get it on the air. We don't get them all on the air, but I, I would reckon we get about half the calls that come in on the air. That means if you don't hear your call in a couple weeks, if you try again, you've pretty much got 100% odds of getting your call on the air unless, well, you don't follow the rules. The rules are make your point or ask your question immediately. Don't talk about a bunch of other stuff or details. Just make the question or the point. Then put the details in and uh, call from a quiet area. If you're on a cell phone, make sure you have a couple bars at least. Don't call from the back of a motorcycle or next to somebody running a weed eater or something like that or when the car with the windows down or any of those things, and you're likely to get on the air. Anyway, before we get into that, let's go ahead and talk about what we're going to talk about. What are we going to talk about today? What calls do we have? We have a lesson in anarchy from all things uh, wagon trains and from all things a guy that used to be like a tied-in-the-wool conservative Republican that's kind of become an anarchist. You'll know who he is when you hear his voice right away. Anyway, also another walking to freedom success story. Somebody 86ing the AO and the AO being New Jersey, where I was born and left as soon as I could. I don't think I turned a month old in New Jersey, uh, but I was born there due to the fact that my uh, grandfather was in the Army and uh, I was born at Fort Monmouth Army Hospital. Uh, this person got out not as quick, but did get out and is now making new life in Central PA. We'll hear from him. And I got a question on how to stop squirrels from eating your fruits and nuts, and not the ones in your pantry, but the ones still on the tree. Um, I'll do my best, and I think I have a pretty good solution that will probably work, and it will help many of you guys that are dealing with uh, pest solutions as well, uh, other than furry pests, but insect pests. Uh, I have a person asking or, or bringing us uh, a thoughts on automation and all the talk we do about it and how automation is now replacing our minds, not just our muscles. And we have kids that cannot even go to the bus stop alone. Yes, the parents sit with them at the bus stop. Jack, what's so terrible about that? These are like 12-year-old, 14-year-old kids with like one parent per Yeah, you'll hear the call, and I'll talk about why it may not be the worst thing in the world, but how it contrasts with how most of us, you know, in my age group grew up. Uh, we have a person saying, how do I stop these annoying telemarketer political phone calls? Uh, I'm not sure, but we'll see if anybody can help. But I do have a couple suggestions to, uh, to, to help you out with certain things. I don't know that it'll work with this one. Uh, keeping water from freezing up for like an animal watering system in a garage. We have a question on that. Uh, person wants thoughts on a first AR, what to look for in their first AR, and follow up about a shooting by a Leo's from last week. So we heard a guy call in, and I went on one of my, you know, you can't blame the cops every time thing, but said I wasn't aware of this shooting. It turned out I was. It just didn't click for me. And this caller, I'm grateful to them calling in and pointing out, yeah, this kind of this was kind of suicide by cop. And I'm going to talk about kind of what that means and what what's going on there. 
And then uh, I'll finish up real quick before we get into the closing segment with the first edition of Jack Hacks. I've been asked to give you guys Jack Hacks. I thought of one this morning, and I'm going to start making a list. And I'm going to do one a week, and I'll do them on the call-in shows as the final uh, final segment. Anyway, with that, let's uh, hear about the year that was the episode before we get into all your calls. The year is 1857 because the episode is 1857. I have Railroads, Riverboats, and the Right to Do the Obvious. I also have the Dred Scott Decision. And I have the Economic Panic of 1857. And some bullet points in other news. Wine fermentation, vinegar, and sour milk are caused by living organisms. A local winemaker asked Louis Pasteur to find out what turns his wine sour after storage. Pasteur finds bacteria in the air are the cause. Can pasteurization be far behind? 1864 for beer and wine and 1886 for milk. Uh, the first safety elevator is installed by Elijah Otis. Specifically shaped rollers grab the sides of an elevator shaft. The cable breaks or if an elevator exceeds a certain speed. That does save a lot of lives and the same basic principle is still in use today, by the way, guys. And the laying of the first transatlantic telegraph cable begins. Two ships from each side of the Atlantic pay out cable. By next year, after several failed attempts, they will meet in the middle, splice the cable, and it is done. They will lose connection and fail within a few weeks. They will try again in 1865. Can you imagine, though, what it must have been like, because it did work at first, to be able to transmit a, a message from the North America to Europe in almost instantaneous time? What that must have been like for people uh, of the time to see happening. Uh, it makes you think of some of the advances of today. I wanted to read Dred Scott decision because it's such an incredibly important part of American history, but I also realized, well, most of us, even if we don't remember it, heard about that in history in school. I don't know if they teach it anymore, but we did. Um, so I'm going to read Railroads, Riverboats, and the Right to Do the Obvious because it actually features a couple characters that will prove uh, pretty key in the coming war between the states in totally different contexts than they will at that point. And I never knew about this. And I like the history segment pieces that we, you know, we learned something we never knew. Uh, the right to do the obvious, though, should be a clue how this one's going to go. A lawyer, Abraham Lincoln, represents the railroads in their defense against Jefferson Davis and the riverboat companies. The question is, does a riverboat have a legal right under maritime law to prevent a railroad bridge from being built across a river? Naturally, the Rock Island Bridge has been built to accommodate the boat traffic, But the riverboat companies continue to complain until the riverboat suddenly loses power and steers into the bridge pier and catches on fire. Blame is cast upon the strange currents caused by the bridge. They declare the bridge to be a menace to navigation, and they go to court. Abraham Lincoln argues that a man has much, has much a right to cross a river as he does to go up and down the river. That argument, along with his careful measurements of river currents, result in a hung jury. The riverboat companies then jump to Iowa courts, which find the bridge must be dismantled at the Iowa border, mid-river. This all goes to the Supreme Court, where it is determined that bridges can be built across rivers. That was a nail-biter, but it was an unresolved question until now. My take by Alex Shrugged, who puts these together for us at TSP Wiki. Just to be clear, the riverboat companies in Jefferson Davis didn't really care about bridges. They were using the issue to stomp their competition. The riverboat companies were a dying business because they couldn't haul freight in the wintertime while railroads kept going. It was believed at the time that the riverboat purposely rammed into the bridge pier in order to destroy the bridge and thus delay the inevitable. Jefferson Davis was Secretary of War at the time. His motivation was to delay the development 
of the northern railway routes until southern route was approved and begun. He saw the south was beginning to be overtaken by the north economically with the advantage of moving cargo inland from eastern seaports using the railway and shipping. If the south couldn't build up their cargo transport ports in Charleston, they're going to lose out to New York, which is exactly what happened. Davis used his position as Secretary of War to declare Rock Island a military reservation, even though the island had been abandoned as a military base years ago. Yeah, the courts didn't buy that BS either. Um, yeah, I'll tell you, it just shows you, this is the same thing throughout history. People talk about without governments, you know, how many monopolies there would be. Uh, well, a lot less. A lot less. This is a perfect example, and, this, and it, it, I'm sure we'll see it in, in history, too. As, as the trains took over... The next big fight that you'll see in this progression of technology was roads and, and motor vehicles. Because the trains ended up with a stranglehold on American commerce once stuff got off a ship. But once you had roads everywhere, and once that that's crazy little horseless carriage got a little bit bigger and was able to haul stuff, man, things changed a lot. And it just keeps repeating itself. Whenever a new technology comes in and displaces an old technology... Old technology already has the ear of those in power and tries to bend it to their will. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and take your... Well, actually, we have to hear from our two sponsors of the day, don't we? I almost forgot that. Can't do that. These guys help pay the bills around here, so here's our two sponsors of the day. Hey, would you like to do business with other members of the TSP community? If so, check out the TSP Business Directory, the place for our listeners to promote their businesses or find great products and services from other community members. Check there first when you need something, and remember to leave a review when you do business with a member. The directory is all about trust and value for value exchange. Check out tspbiz.com, that's tspbiz.com, to learn more. One of my favorite people I get to work with at TSP is Chef Keith Snow of HarvestEating.com. Chef Keith can teach you to cook fantastic meals, develop a great food storage program, and more. He is also the source of my favorite line of spices and seasoning mixes that I use in all my weekly cooking. Check out his products, great blog, and podcast at HarvestEating.com. And now with that knocked out, let's go ahead and take your first call. Hey, Jack. It's Jack Robinson. I just had a comment about anarchy. I um, heard your comment on the podcast recently about anarchy and murder, et cetera. And then earlier on, you had mentioned, uh, I think it was in the history section, something about uh, the Donner Party. I don't know if you know much about the Donner Party, but they actually, I would think, operated as an, an anarchist community, you know, wagon trains. When a group of people decided to go out west, on a wagon train, they had to kind of go by the rules. And if, I don't know if you remember, but one of the survivors of the Donner Party, it was a kind of a, a lucky um, uh, event for him because this one guy had done something illegal according to the rules of the of wagon train, the Donner Party, and he got caught, and his punishment was banishment, like you talked about. It might not be death, it might be banishment. They stripped him down to his underwear, no shoes, and told him to walk and get out and don't come back. And this guy, and this is in the wintertime, you remember, they got caught in a snowstorm. Well, they got caught and most of the Donner Party died. This one guy, though, kept walking and walking and walking. I, can't, I have to go back and look at the notes 
but he walked something like 75 miles or 100 miles, something crazy, and wound up walking into a camp uh, fort and survived. And he was able to at least notify them that he had, he was part of the Donner Party. And uh, anyway, I thought that was interesting that anarchy worked in a, in a weird sort of fashion by kicking this guy out. And although he did survive, it was really crazy to think that they were that serious about, okay, you broke the rules, you're down to your uh, your skivvies and you're barefoot in this wintertime. That's what you get for breaking the rules in our anarchist community. And I, I have um, running bouts with folks online and on Facebook threads about anarchy versus government, and it's always fun to move in that direction. Anyway, keep up the good work. See you. So, yeah, it's an, it's kind of an interesting thought that any truly long-range expedition of any kind, in a sense, is an anarchy. There might be a leader, but trust me, if that leader is not getting the job done, group consensus is going to remove and replace the leader that, that's going to happen on a ship. They call it a mutiny. And on a ship where you have a home port that you're going back to and people are employed in the military and all, there's a a lot of penalty, especially at the time in history that we're talking about right now and earlier um, in the history segments that can happen if, if you mutiny. But in, in reality, uh, those mutinies happen whenever a crew decided, hey, we're going to die if we don't take over. And then once that happens, well, how is order maintained? You know, they generally the crew would appoint like an acting captain. And how was that done? Was that done through the authority of a state? Or was that done by the true consent of the governed, if you want to call it that way, as true self-governance. And if that, that new person wasn't getting shit done, they would immediately be replaced. And there are quite strict rules, apparently, for rat wagon trains. So the other reason I played this is this is interesting, right, to hear Jake Robinson arguing with people online about the value of anarchy. When I first met Jake, he was a, a very libertarian-leaning but very conservative to the to the, the some issues, um, Republican, right? And he's been here a lot. He did work on Elijah Strange's farm as well. He's been to my place four times at least. He's coming. He's actually going to teach a class a class on how to build a vacuum canner at the the workshop that we're going to have at the end of October this year. Um, and I, I have to credit probably more than anybody else my 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 intern that I had here for seven months, Josiah Wallingford for mentally beating Jake into submission. They apparently stayed up awake one night until like 4 o'clock in the morning talking about the gay marriage issue. And, and and Jake finally just snaps out and says, well, then maybe the government should just not be involved in marriage at all. And everybody clapped for him of the group of people that were awake. I was in bed by then, uh, obviously, because I'm not insane. But uh, then, like, a another incident occurred, and finally Jake says, I'm, I gave up. He, he had an answer for everything. I'm an anarchist now. And uh, I, I don't know that that was true uh, at the point, but I think he's leaning toward the anarchist state of mind. And as we said yesterday with my interview with, with Prof. CJ, the, the modern anarchist is not the person that wants to dismantle the apparatus of the state in 30 seconds. Rather, to displace the state in every and every way possible because anarchy is the only moral and ethical decision because to compel another person to do something through force when they're not harming anyone is immoral.
It's immoral. But that doesn't mean that if you're going to do something that's that's going to require commitment, that a group might not say, this is what it requires if you're going to be part of this group. And one of those things is if we're going to travel across the country together, trust. Trust. And if you're going to steal shit from the people that you're supposed to have trust with, well, then you're going to have to go. And it's interesting they stripped them down. I mean, it, it's that's pretty harsh. I I think if it would have been, you know, my little anarcho group that I was banishing the guy from, I would have maybe gave him a day's provisions and let him keep his clothes and say, get out of here. Now, here's an interesting thing, though. So this guy set off in the snow with nothing. So he has nothing he can do except go, and he finds safety. The Donner Party sits there. People begin to die. They begin to eat their dead until they're rescued, right? What really cost the Donner Party in in that 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 instance then seems was their unwillingness to abandon their stuff. I, I never knew that this guy kind of wandered to safety. It's you know, is it possible? Is it possible that had the Donner Party just said, "Screw all this stuff. We're taking what we carry and what we can eat, and we're going on foot, and we'll come back for it. If it's here, it's here. If it's not, it's not." Could they have maybe rescued themselves and avoided the deaths and the horrible things that happened with Donner Party? Here's one other thing. Like, I'm at a point now where I question everything I was ever told in, in school, but sometimes I don't have time to research it. I remember this subject in history, American history, and I remember my American history teacher, Mr. Larson, telling me two things that supposedly happened at the point that they found the Donner Party. One was that there was a woman who was boiling a baby in a pot of, like a big cauldron, and that she had pretty much just lost her mind and gone la-la. I have skepticism about that one. Um, and then the, the other was there was some guy like gnawing on a femur or something that had gone like totally mad and they shot him. I, I, I don't know if I believe either one of those now. If you would have asked me that when I was 25 years old, you know, 20 years ago, I would have said, yeah, my teacher told me that it has to be true. And it wasn't on a test or anything, but you just wonder how many things are planted in our minds by educators that are untrue. For instance, another one that I had in my head, to, you know, till quite recently, like within the last eight years, uh, was the concept that the the Polish cavalry charged German tanks, believing the tanks to be made from cardboard. Uh, that's not true. That's just completely untrue. Uh, there there was some use of Polish cavalry. Uh, that was probably not the best use of that asset and what was what was remaining of its value and usefulness, but it was more that's what we have, you know, and it was more heroic than anything else. But it was made into this this you know Polish joke thing. So I just wonder, you know, not really the subject Jake called it, but how many things have we been taught by school teachers that are just either not true at all or based on a misconstrued view of what really happened. And we go around with these beliefs solidly in our minds, and they're, we're basing our worldview on them. Like, you know, like anarchy is just chaos. That would be another one. I'm just saying. Let's take another one. This one is about walking to freedom. Hey, Jack. This is uh, Dennis from Jersey City, New Jersey, or formerly from Jersey City, New Jersey. Just going to say thank you for all you have done for me. Uh, you've taught me your inspiration. I've been to your homestead once. I've been listening to your podcast. I took your PDC. Well, you've pushed me and inspired me to sell my overpriced 
you know, a little home in Jersey City that is uh, riding on the bubble. And I bought some some property in Central PA, and I'm starting with a homestead. I'm currently living in a an old vintage Airstream that I plan to rent out for uh, Airbnb. Little add some profit to my homestead. So I just want to say thank you for all you do and what you continue to do for the community. Uh, if anyone's interested, I have a website that goes to a YouTube page. I've been posting a lot of videos or trying to the internet kind of things out here. Uh, it's DennisAllen.com, D-E-N-N-I-S-A-L-A-N.com, if anyone's interested. I'd love you guys to subscribe and, I don't know, maybe comment. I need suggestions. I'm a born and raised city boy, so any help would do. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care. So, yeah, I mean, I don't really mention this much anymore. I probably should more, and we should probably do something with the, the site and, and maybe redo the original poll of the naughty list, the 10 worst states in the, the country to target that people would want to leave. But uh, New Jersey made the list. The site's called uh, Walking to Freedom. And I think if we redid the poll, we were supposed to redo it every year. And it's like all these things I start up, unless people kind of take them and run with them, I, I, I can't run them all, you know. Um, but it's a forum, walkingtofreedom.com. And uh, that's what this guy did. And, and is Pennsylvania the freest state in the nation? No, but it's a hell of a lot freer than New Jersey. You know, I said for people, back when I launched Walking to Freedom, I said, you know what? Uh, if I lived in New Jersey right now, I'd try to get the hell out of there. And I probably wouldn't pick Pennsylvania, but it's it's better. And the freaking Delaware River ain't the guy, uh, the the, uh, the Berlin Wall, right? Uh, the, the Delaware River, River is not the Berlin Wall. You can cross that thing. They'll let you. Get the hell out of there. It's one of the most ridiculously taxed states on the planet. It's horribly run from a governmental standpoint. It's laden with regulations. About The only thing you can do to be worse than that is go to Connecticut or California or New York. Maybe Illinois. I don't know. And possibly Hawaii. I mean, those are all just horrible states from a, a tax and regulation standpoint. And uh, while Pennsylvania has its problems, it's, I mean, phew. If if if, uh, if we go back to the Soviet bloc in, uh, in in New Jersey is East Germany, then Pennsylvania is West Germany. I mean, it, it's about that much of a contrast as far as I'm concerned. Things that you can do in Pennsylvania that will not cause anything bad to happen to you are felonies in New Jersey in some instances. Um, and it's just an example. But what I like is that, well, I, I'm giving it a shot. I'm making it happen. I looked at his YouTube channel, too. Uh, DennisAllen.com just redirects to to his YouTube channel, and I got a link in the show notes for you. It says Dennis Allen's YouTube channel. I think you might like checking out what this guy's doing. It's kind of cool. It's definitely real. And it's definitely honest. Um, and uh, I, this is one of those things like I'm a city boy. I don't really don't know what I'm doing, but I'm gonna figure it out. He might go faster than some others because it, when you know that, you're willing to ask and you're willing to try and you're willing to go. This doesn't work and change it. You're not married to an idea. That's a lesson for all of us, I think. With that, let's go ahead and take the next call of the day. Hi, Jack. This is Keith from Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. I'm about an hour west of Toronto. Uh, my question is, how do I protect my food forest from squirrels? I have a Fuji apple tree, a mulberry tree in the garden, and uh, since I've been listening to your podcast for the past couple of years, I'm very committed to replacing every shrub and plant with edible plants like blueberries and saskatoons and raspberries, and I'm expanding my garden fourfold, and my quail preparations are well on their way. In the past, I've sprayed my fruit trees and garden with one teaspoon of garlic powder, lemon dish soap, and some cayenne powder, and I mix it in a liter of uh, water and 
put in a sprayer and I spray my garden and trees every so often and certainly after every rain. But this year the squirrels, at least I assume it was squirrels, ate everything. I checked my apple tree last Friday and on Monday there was nothing. Nothing on the trees and nothing on the ground. It was going to be a bumper crop this September when they were ready. Maybe it was the Grinch looking for some summer work, I don't know. But I want to make sure that this doesn't happen next year when I have more at stake. Also a couple things. My, my house is smack dab in the middle of my city. And this summer has been extremely dry. I don't want to track squirrels, so I don't have a bird feeder or a bird bath. But I'm wondering if the squirrels come here anyways, and they would eat any apple no matter what because they are so thirsty. I look forward to your comments, and thanks for all you do. I'm not 100% sure that the solution that I have for you is going to work, and I don't know that I'm 100% sure that squirrels are your problem. Uh, they could be part of the problem, but squirrels generally don't finish fruit. Um, they're typical when you have a squirrel problem with fruit, and they do it a lot here in Texas with peaches, is the squirrel goes to the tree, and this is why they get pellet gunned if I see them, flat out. Uh, they go to the tree, they pull a peach off, they take two or three bites out of it, and they throw it on the ground, they grab another peach, they take two or three bites off it, and they throw it on the ground, they grab a peach, pop, they get hit in the head, no, they keep doing that until every peach is ruined. Um, so you may, they, I don't know, with apples, they may like them better, given they weren't fully ripe yet. That's not a thing that squirrels, but again, they'll pull it off. Is this one ripe? No, down on the ground. And they, they'll keep going. Um, and maybe it's good enough to keep going, right? And then once they drop it, maybe it's deer or something coming through eating the fallen fruit because I've just never seen squirrels completely clean up after themselves, so to speak. You usually see remnants that show that you had squirrel misbehavior going on calling for a well-placed uh, pellet to the to the brain pan. So that's the number one method of control I use for squirrels is to shoot them and cut them up in little pieces and put them on a grill and I'll you know I won't go through how I cook them but the way I cook them you'd be happy to eat as many as you could find. However, that's not practical all the time, and sometimes it's a it's a quantity issue. There's more squirrels than there are uh, hours in the day to wait to shoot them with pellet guns or 22s. So you end up with how do we come up with a, a solution that is uh, 24/7, 365? And the only suggestion that I personally have that I think might be effective here it works very well for insect pests, uh, and it's assuming you don't have you know, apple trees that are so high you'd need a cherry picker to spray them. But you're you're saying you spray your trees now, so this should be uh, doable. And it's, it's something called Calion Clay. Uh, and I'll spell that because it might be one of those things people have trouble finding online. K-A-O-L-I-N, Calion, K-A-O-L-I-N, Calion Clay. And it comes in like a powder. And what you do is you mix it with water. And if you just Google spraying trees with Calion Clay you'll find exactly kind of what ratios to use and all. And it's completely non-toxic. It doesn't hurt you in any way, shape, or form. But what it does is it sticks like a slurry to the plant and the leaves and the trees. And when that happens, it hardens into kind of this chalky, you know, chalky substance. So when insects go to bite into a fruit or a leaf or anything with calion clay on it, they just don't lie. I mean, it's bad. Imagine I put a really beautiful, like... Eight ounce, perfectly made fillet steak in front of you, like just medium, seared beautifully, 
let it let it's it's it had resting it's it's down to like you know just a little above room temperature it slices like butter it's got that beautiful red are you hungry yet yeah but it's coated with like a thick chalk and you don't have a knife and you can't wash it off you have to sit there and you have to bite through that chalk and eat it as that chalk see right so that should i mean i would think a squirrel that kind of bit into that would just like this is a bad thing but I've never heard of it used for squirrels before. So that's going to be my suggestion, and it's probably one of the better suggestions for a lot of people doing small orchard management that have pest problems, specifically pest problems, later in the fruit set period, right? Because there's a lot of organic stuff we can talk about in another show maybe where you do certain sprayings of certain things, uh, garlic, pepper, tea would be one of them, uh, along with things like compost tea, garret juice, things like that. Uh, at bud break and at 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 uh, when you first get your blossoms and at fruit set and that helps a lot with the worms and stuff like that. But things that come along more at the time when the fruit is beginning to mature, a lot of times that doesn't work and Callion clay will. So that should help people, not just the caller that are dealing with. You know, that, that, that fruit's looking really good. Next thing you know, grasshoppers are on it or something like that. Or uh, your tree's getting hit later in the year rather than in the spring. And it'll certainly work in the spring as well. It's, it's one of the, the best things you can use. It just, of course, requires that you apply it. And if you get lots of rain, it has to be reapplied because it washes off pretty easily. But once it's on there, it stays on pretty good to look good, heavy rainfall. Of course, when you, harvest your fruit, since it washes off so dead gone easily, it's not a problem for you. You just give your fruit a good washing, and then you're good to go. That would be my only suggestion I have, other than, you know, a Nitro Piston Viper Crossman 22, pap, would be my other one. Anybody else got any suggestions for squirrel prevention that doesn't involve squirrel elimination? I'd uh, love to hear from you guys in the comments. Today's episode 1857. Let's take another one. Hey, I don't have a question. I just have a comment. Um, some people have been arguing that, you know, this automation thing, it's, it's not a big deal, right? It's not, it's going to be like it was in the 1800s, but we'll still have jobs. I just want to make the comment that in the 18 1900s, uh, machines replaced our manpower. They replaced a guy with a shovel, but nowadays computers are replacing our brain power. So if a human can dig and think, what else can we do when they replace our brain? All right, thanks. Bye. Yeah, there's a couple moving parts here I want to look at that kind of comes back to how this is different this time. So the first is, yes, like so all of the autom automation, mechanization, uh, factory floor development, things like that have occurred you know, through the 1800s into the early 1900s and all the way up and through the 1950s, did displace a lot of labor, and it primarily displaced labor that was muscle-based. The caller is completely correct about that. But all those jobs didn't go away. They just got reduced severely in number. So about digging, like she mentioned that, right? So imagine what a, a relatively small uh traco not a backhoe a traco even better piece of equipment something like uh a, a 16,000 pound traco an 8 ton machine could do it. that's a relatively modest machine compared to people digging with shovels right so you know i'm out on a construction site i need a hole dug i've got labor and i've got a machine 
um, they actually work together. But I obviously need less labor because I've got that track hoe or trencher or anything like that. I mean, think about the way that you would bury a pipe in the ground before the advent of mechanized trenching. You just had guys digging a trench with boards so that the dirt didn't fall in on them and lay in pipe. And then imagine how many jobs were displaced just simply because we developed a tool that puts a blade in the ground and cuts a trench. But there were certain things that were necessary. Somebody had to drive the trencher. Somebody had to understand the layout, etc. And you still had things that needed to be done with a shovel. And even though those things could be done with this equipment, the equipment is expensive, right? So if I can get two or three laborers cheap, they can do things that, yes, could be done with equipment, but in the end, the equipment's better served doing something else. So that's part of how people kind of kept relevancy. And then we moved a lot As, as we came up with all of this stuff, a huge portion of the labor force moved from production, from muscle work, to brain work, and to service level work. And when we talk about brain power, a lot of times we're thinking like, well, you know, a neurosurgeon or something like that. And yes, computers can even do high-level jobs like that. But there's human brain power that's capable of doing things that computers up till now haven't been or the cost for a computer to do them. Let's, let's look at something simple like you make fun of burger flippers, right? So you're making a burger, and when you go to put the pickle on it, it's off the side of the, the, the pickle a little bit. It's not going to wrap up nice in the thing when you provide the burger, uh, or it's, it's missed the patty. The, the brain power of any human being that's good enough to be a burger flipper can move the pickle back where it belongs, A computer drops the pickle, but if it doesn't, like it can't self... Well, now we have computers that do this. These little mental computations are becoming doable. At the same time all this is happening, the cost of the production of this stuff is going down. It's going down to where it's, it's cheaper than the burger flipper. And the cost of the burger flipper guy is going up because you have to have this you know, Cadillac health insurance program for him or whatever. And he doesn't show up for work one or two days a month. And you can't fire him because even if you do, the person you get to replace him. See, it's all, con it's, it's all coming together in kind of a perfect storm at, at the time in history where this is just natural progression. And again, I don't want anybody to be afraid of it, but I don't want you to just ignore it and think, well, it's not coming. It's going to be the same as all the other times they said this. And I know that there is, you know, kind of the future topia bullshit. I remember when I was a little kid, I was a little kid in, uh, in school and, uh, it was like a military day thing or something like that. And a guy comes in from the Air Force and, uh, I guess it's probably 910, something like that. And was, you know, talking about, you know, careers in the military and, and what it was like being in the Air Force. And he was a pilot. And he said, well, what do you guys think you'll be flying when, when, when you're old enough to fly? And, and one of the little kids said, spaceships. He goes, that's right. By the time you guys are old enough to be in the Air Force, the Air Force will be flying spaceships. And I, I shit you not, I was in my 20s. And I had met Dorothy and I stepped in as a father to my, my son, Matthew, who's now 26, by the way. A military appreciation day at his school, parent-teacher type thing going on. So I went into school, and there was a guy from the Air Force saying the same shit. I didn't say nothing. I mean, he was in, like, first grade or something at the time, so I'm not going to do But he And either one of these men were lying. They thought they were telling the truth. 
In the words of Red Foreman from that 70s show, where the hell's my hovercraft, Kitty? They told us we would have hovercrafts by now. So I understand the skepticism. But what you have to look at is the totality of what's actually being done. We don't have hovercrafts because they're not that practical. A self-driving car is practical. A system that builds food products for people, eliminating human labor, is practical. A computer algorithm that can better diagnose a patient's illnesses than a team of doctors is not only practical, it's already happened. It's not going to go backwards, guys. Can't put the genie back in the box, the bottle. It's not going to happen. We need to be adaptive as we move forward, and we need to be thinking about solutions to the problems this displacement will create. Good call, though. Thank you for it. Let's take another one. Hey, Jack. It's Max in St. Louis. I just had a comment about uh, teacup kids these days, I guess. Uh, I drive to work through a few uh, residential neighborhoods, and, and we're talking... Uh, you know, middle class to to possibly uh, brush it on on upper middle class uh, neighborhoods. So, so nothing dangerous or um, you know just slow traffic going through. And now that school's starting, these kids are waiting for the bus stop, and every single kid has a parent with them at the bus stop, all the way up to kids who are in you know fourth, fifth, sixth grade age. Uh, they've got a parent with them. I mean, there's five, six kids at these bus stops, and there's five, six parents, and then the bus picks them up, and then the parents all walk to their cars and drive back down the block home after dropping the kid off at the bus. I just can't believe it. Uh, it it's floors me. Uh, I, I never had a parent wait with me up or, or walking to school for, you know, 12 years of, of school. Uh, so I, I just, it just floors me that, that these parents have to wait for the bus to come uh, you know, in a in a nice neighborhood when there's 10 other kids around at the bus stop. I, I don't know. I just want to see, I guess, what you thought about that. Uh, thanks. Love the show. Let me just relate how things were for me when I was in grade school. We're not even talking about junior high here. I lived, and if you want to see where I lived, you can, I don't know what they call the apartment complexes now, but you can go to Google Maps and you can Google Edenfield Road, E-D-E-N-F-I-E-L-D Road, Jacksonville, Florida, and you'll find Edenfield Road, and it runs from a place where it joins with University Boulevard or University Club Boulevard, I'm not sure what, and it runs all the way down by the St. John's River, and there's like a bunch of stuff there that wasn't there when I was a kid. And as you go down Edenfield Road and you look on the west side of Edenfield, you'll see a big apartment complex and you'll see like it's got canals in it. Like a, I used to fish in there when I was a little kid by myself. And if you keep going south of that, on the west side again, you'll see what looks like an industrial treatment plant. That's a, that's a, a water sewage treatment plant. And when I've talked in the past about there being a chlorine leak and us having to evacuate, it was that plant with the chlorine leak. On the, on the east side of Edenfield, south of there, there's a bunch of different apartment complexes. There used to be only one. Some older ones there, that's where I used to live. And if you look, that apartment complex all the way up to where Edenfield Road meets uh, University, uh, by where the big bend in the St. John's River is, it's about a mile. It's three-quarters of a mile to a mile. And... I and every other kid that got the, in the bus stop for all of us was at a little convenience store on that intersection, that corner. We all walked there. 
My sister's three years younger than me, and she walked there too. Mainly because there was close enough times that the buses were picking us up, even though we were in different groups. Um, but it was close enough that we could go at the same time. So I was a little older, and I'd look out for her, and older kids looked out for younger kids. And it was fine. When my son, who's you know significantly younger than me, I'm just saying, was in Pennsylvania, that uh, his bus stop picked him up at the end of the the, the kind of the, the subdivision, and we lived in a subdivision where all the lots were at least an acre, so it was only about 16, 18 houses, but it was much more spread out than typical, and it was a half a mile, maybe a little less there, and it was really no worries whatsoever. But I remember one time when I didn't have to go travel for work, and I was home for a week because I used to travel back then. And uh, my office was one room to the next because that's where my sales office was. I officed out of the house, and uh, it was about you know six forty-five in the morning. And he had to go walk to school, and I was in bed and I was snug and warm, and it was one degree outside. And my wife came in and said, "I feel bad. Do you feel bad?" I'm like, "No, leave me alone. I'm sleeping." <laughs> I had no worries with him having to go down there and they had a little shelter, which we never had, that they could stand in the block in the wind. And I, I remember not that particular day because I didn't get up for like another 30 minutes. But I remember another day when it was cold and it was windy. And I remember watching him walk backwards down the road because the wind's hitting you in the face. is cold. I remember doing that. Um, and when I moved to Pennsylvania the first couple of years, the school that I went to was probably walking distance from the house. It was a long walk, though, and they did have bus service. And it was probably a good half mile up a big-ass hill that I walked to get the bus. And if it snowed and yet there was still school that day, it kind of sucked. And it was just part of life. And I had no problems with it. And I, I really am glad I grew up that way. So you might think I'm just going to rip the shit out of these parents. Maybe a little bit. But I don't know completely that I disagree with what's going on here. Number one, do you think they're really worried about the kids doing something they're not supposed to do? Or... Do you think that maybe they're worried that someone's going to say that they're not watching their kids and steal their kids from them in the name of the state? Because we've seen that happen. There's been so many news stories of a kid walking, you know, a quarter mile to a bus stop alone and freaking CPS coming in. So is it really the parents' fault? Do you, you, you see what I'm saying? And I'll also say this. Pennsylvania, when I walked to that bus stop, there was like one other girl there with me. It was like the two of us. We were the only two at that stop. Um, there was only like two other kids there, and both of them got rides all the way to school from their parents, so there wasn't a lot of stuff going on, right, mischief. Uh, my son, he was like him and like three other boys from the neighborhood that we all knew each other, and so yeah, when I, that place in Florida I mentioned, <laughs> grade school even, uh, there was you know kids from like junior high and you know, middle school and elementary school all at the same place, kind of at the same time. And there's a big gap there. And uh, a lot of kids, a lot of kids, I'm saying several dozen, a lot of stuff happened that you'd probably prefer your kids not to be exposed to. There were some kids that at times, even, you know, junior high level smoking dope. There were fights. Um, there were kids that got caught stealing from the little convenience store. The convenience store was like the hangout thing. Uh, there was a lot of kind of rough kid-type attitude going on there because it was all kids that lived in apartments. That means none of us came from a lot of money, you know, and then you got a lot of them mixed together, and you got a lot of time on your hands waiting for that bus to show up some days. 
So here's my bigger issue with this. It's kind of toward the end of the call. Get back in their cars and drive back to their houses. Is there an opportunity being missed here? Because I'm imagining if parents is, are, are doing this, that what, what could be done is these parents could walk their kids to the bus stop, have some parent time, and then when they get there, kind of the kids go off over and be kids, and the parents kind of go over here and actually communicate about things that are at an adult level that, you know, could it not be actually a bonding component of the community? And it's not bad that parents and children are interacting and know each other. Let me tell you, in all of the freedom that I had, especially when I moved back to Pennsylvania where it was small towns and everybody knew everybody, okay? And I would I remember at like 14, I, and you want to do another little math experiment of Jack Spierko's childhood, go on to Google Maps and search for, for uh, Minersville, Pennsylvania and find Minersville High School. Just north of Minersville High School is the house that I grew up in my teens in. Uh, there's a brand new big one there, but there's an old little white house there. That's my father's house. Okay, And then um, if you Google Canella Drive, not Canella Drive, I don't remember the name of the road, but if you look and find Pottsville Minersville Highway, I used to live over by Westwood, I guess would be what you could Google and find. Coney Island Hot Dog right in Pottsville. I live near that, not there, but near that. And there's a highway in between there. I used to ride a 12-speed bicycle from Pottsville to Minersville and many other places and had that for 14, 15 years old, okay, until I got old enough to get a car, which I had to save up and buy myself, right? Okay, but in all that freedom, do you know what scared the shit out of me? Doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing and hearing somebody go, is that you, Jack Jr.? Oh, shit. Oh, shit. They're going to tell Grandma. They're going to tell Grandpa. They're going to tell Dad. They're going to tell my uncle. Right? I mean, that was, it put the fear of God in you, and it made you at least confine your nefarious activities to non-public locations, which made you less likely to also come into conflict with law enforcement or the state. Because you were a little bit more below radar because eyes were watching. So I think parents being involved with their children and stuff is not a bad thing. But the, the, the thought of that many kids with a parent standing next to each one of them just waiting for the bus like that. And parents rolling their fat asses into their cars and not even teaching their kids to walk to the bus stop. Man, if parents want to be engaged like that, why not form kind of a, a group? And maybe not every parent has to go every day, right? You know? Maybe it's, you know, and, and the parents have conversations and talk and know each other. That could be a good thing. But this just sounds like the stereotypical thing that's become reality. Teacup kids being handed off from one authority figure to the other and never having any time in the middle kind of to, to be kids and to figure themselves out. Just saying. With that, let's take another one. Hey, Jack. This is Neil, West Tennessee. Um, my question to you is, how do you get off political phone call list? I've done the do not call.gov thing, and I'm still getting robocalled by Donald Trump like two times a day, and it's driving me insane. I haven't voted Republican in eight years. Uh, and it's just, I just don't know how to do it. I'm just frustrated at this point in time. I mean, and I like him better than, than Hillary, but I still don't want to have to listen to his voice come over my cell phone at 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock at night. 
Anyway, if you got any tips on this, I'd appreciate it. Thanks. Bye. Okay, I'm not sure how to stop this call. The national do not call list is something that you can try, and that usually is supposed to work. Um, I get almost no phone calls that are promotional in nature on my cell phone because uh, I've never put that number anywhere that would cause that to end up on a list. And sometimes you want to give a number to somebody, and I'll talk about what you can do with that in just a minute. Um, but uh, d just if you if you don't get your your number out there in the first place, you generally have less problems. And the robocalling, right? We talk about automation, the automated telemarketing, uh, whether it's a political message or you know getting a roofing estimate for your house, has made this a lot worse. Because it used to be the case that if you did answer the phone and there was another human being on there, especially when the do not call list and the serious penalties for it came out, companies were taking it seriously because they thought it was going to be enforced. And if you got somebody else, excuse me, stop, just stop. But I'm going to no, shut up and stop and listen to me. You called my house. Listen very carefully. Do you know what the national do not call list is? Yeah, my number's on it. I highly suggest for you and your company you not call me again. You get a very quick apology, and they usually would do whatever procedure they had to not call this number ever again. Okay? All right. Unfortunately, robots don't give a damn. And there's two types of robotic calls that you're getting now. One is they just determine an area, like an area code and a prefix, right? And so the area code, you guys know what area codes are. You have to dial them now. We didn't used to have to dial them unless we were dialing long distance. But our area code here is 817, right? So um, I believe there's a prefix around here of 619. So 817-619 is a prefix. Well, They don't even use lists anymore with this automated shit sometimes. They just put that frequency in there, and it dials zeros, you know, dials that, that and then 0001, sees if it gets a hit. 0002, sees if it gets a hit. 0003, sees if it gets a hit, and just does that. And then if they get any kind of action, then that number gets moved on to an active call list. However, if you're there, probably because you were a Republican Party member or something, like you probably made a mistake against somebody like, I don't know, John McCain, money or something like that. So now you're a target of this. And what happens is the campaigns buy and sell lists. Like when you know McCain's kind of given up on running for president, so he might have all of that, or the RNC has the number or whatever, and they're providing it to the candidate of choice, et cetera. And I don't really know how you get that to stop. I guess you can put your number in there again. I do have a couple suggestions for the future, and then just a procedural suggestion. My issue with any kind of uh, calls to my cell phone from this type of stuff, when it does happen, it doesn't matter. If my cell phone rings and I don't know who's on it, that's what voicemail's for. And I just ignore it. And I think we've gotten to a point in our time in our society where we can't ignore shit anymore. This really doesn't hurt you. This really doesn't affect you. And the only way you even have to be bothered by it is if you answer the phone. If you don't know who it is, Don't answer the phone. Your life will get better from that alone. But what if it's really important? They'll leave a voicemail or they'll call back if it's really important. If you don't recognize the number, don't answer it. And be at peace with the fact that sometimes people send you stuff like mail or phone calls or whatever that you don't really want. That's one. Now, if you are being harassed by somebody where the person actually calls you on the phone and you've told them more than once to leave you alone, This is kind of mean, but it does get you on the don't call this person anymore list. Go down to the store and get yourself an air horn. You know, like a uh, uh, air horn, right? And you say, 
You see that same person calling you again, you pick your air horn up, you answer it, you blow it in the phone. Most people wear headsets, and they'll stop calling you. They'll stop calling you, they will stop calling you. Now, another procedure that I think we should all use is there are services that you get free phone numbers from, like Google Voice, and assuming you're not using, and you can set up multiple accounts, so you can have multiple Google Voice numbers. If you have to give a phone number to something, let's say that I needed to get some work done around my house. Let's say I wanted a bid. I wanted bids on fencing around my property. Okay, and I don't really know who to call, so I see this thing online get you know multiple bids. Oh, I know what's going to happen. I know exactly what's going to happen. So you're going to want your phone number. They're going to require it. And I actually do want to hear from these people up until the point where I decide which one of them I'm going to use, or that I'm not going to use any of them or that I, I've decided I'm going to do it myself, whatever it is, there's a point where I'm done with that. But if I do this with my phone number, it's going to be sold and resold and remarketed and resold, and they're going to say that they have my permission so the do not call list does not apply. That's what RNC is probably doing to you right now. Because you gave them the number, they had your permission, you're in their database, you're going to get multiple harassments because do not call does not apply to them until you've somehow notified them not to call you anymore. Which you can't do because a robot's calling you. See, right? So in the future, whenever you do, you get up, you get a phone number, you forward it to your main number, and when you're done with that need, you terminate that number so they can't bother you anymore. It's the phone equivalent to what you would call a uh, like a trash mail account or a mailinator account. So, and a lot of the automated systems like the, you know, AWeber and stuff that I use have gotten hip to this. But, you know, you see, like, give us your email address and then we'll send you 10 tips or whatever. And then you've opted into an email list. Well, if you don't want to actually give them your email, then you can use, like, Trash Mail or Mailinator or whatever. Um, and then you just don't have to worry about ever hearing them from them again. Mailinator, you make up on the fly. You can put, like, anything at Mailinator.com. You can put in... Uh, BigHeadedTodd at Mailinator.com for your email. And uh, when you go to Mailinator.com, you just, it says check a mailbox. You just put in BigHeadedTodd, and it'll just show you everything that's been sent to that address. So obviously nothing confidential you'd want to do that with. But, you know, what that enables you to do is gain access to information from websites that are, you know, extorting you for your email address when you really don't want to hear from them long term. This shouldn't be a big issue either, though. If you're dealing with reputable companies, like, say, the Survival Podcast, you don't want my email anymore. There's a little link at the bottom. It says, click here to unsubscribe. You click, you unsubscribe, it's done. I don't want an email if you don't want it, and I don't sell your information. Most companies, they aren't selling their customer databases in that type of market because that's the value to them is having that captive market. But in the larger, broad spectrum, these lists are passed around, passed around, passed around. And the way that they set things up now is you, you give me your phone number or you give me your email address, you've given me permission to contact with you. But in the agreement terms of services, will say that it's okay for me to let others contact you. So I sell it to them, and then they contact you, but you gave me permission to let them do that. Then is it okay for them to resell it? No, but how do you prove it? By the time you try to go after somebody for doing it, they don't even know. They just bought you from this guy. They bought you from that guy. So... You know, guard your information. Use disposable throwaway phone numbers and email addresses, and when they become a problem, just get rid of them. You know, you can set up as many Gmail accounts as you want, I think, right? So you can set up Gmail accounts and, and, and do that. What I do is, since I have like a bazillion websites and servers and everything, I just create an email on one of my domains, 
And then one, if that becomes a problem, I just, you know, I only have it for one purpose. And if anything else shows up on it, aha, I just delete it. And then I have a catch-all that just throws away everything that goes to the catch-all. So if you make up something like dumbass at the survivalpodcast.com and send that to me, I'll never see it. The computer just throws it away. Right? So this is how to think to deal with this. If anybody knows how to make somebody like the DNC or RNC or DNC or any of these political assholes quit robocalling you, I'd, I'd love to hear it. I'm sure the caller would too. But again, my rule, if I don't know you and you call my cell phone, I don't answer. If your voicemail is not compelling enough, I don't return your call. That's, that's how I manage my time in my life, and it works pretty easy, and I've gotten pretty good at doing that. <laughs> Let's take another one. Hey, Jack. Jaron from Northern Utah again. I have a question on preparing my water automation for winter. Details are that I have six 2 by 3 quill cages and a rack system inside my unheated garage. I have a five-gallon bucket for a reservoir that sits on top, and I have a big-time water cup plumbed from each cage to that bucket. I'm just north north of Salt Lake City, where temperatures can get below freezing for several weeks or months of the winter. I do have power in the garage, but what do you suggest is the best method to keep my water from freezing? Thanks for all you do. So I'll give you a couple different options here, and you can kind of uh, work through them. So one thing you can do, just make sure the water in the tanks never freeze, is uh, you can get some stock tank heaters, like 250-watt stock tank heaters. And the ones I recommend I'll link to from the show notes today, they turn on at 35 and off at 45. It's all built into them. It, your water will never freeze with those in there. The lines, what you could do with those is, is use just what's called some uh, water pipe ta heat tape. And it's just basically a strip of, of thermal tape, and you can you can look up how to use that stuff. It's very difficult to explain, but it's very easy to do. And that can be hooked up to some level of a thermostat that, looks again, like on at 35, off at 45 is a good temperature zone. And it'll just keep those pipes warm so they don't freeze. Obviously, you can lining them with foam is probably good enough inside a uh, inside a garage. The, the key point that I'm concerned, it sounds like so you're using them like for quail or something like that, is where your little cups are, your nipples are, where, you know, that's where a lot of times things can really freeze up. And so running your heat tape as close to that as you can without endangering your animals and, 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 and setting it so that it's not blazing at 95 degrees or something like that. You don't want it melting plastic or something like that. But that, that's all pretty easy to do. And if you go down to your local Home Depot or Lowe's, there's usually one or two people in there that do know their shit uh, about stuff like this. And it's just a matter of finding the right one. And they'll, help, they'll set you up with everything you need to do uh, that. Again, if you're worried about the tanks freezing, I don't think you really have to. But the little stock tank heaters I recommend, I'll have a link to where you can get them on Amazon. They're all built in. Another option, though, is remember, we don't have to heat a garage to 70 degrees to keep water from freezing. We only have to heat a garage like 35 degrees to keep water from freezing. So even just a small electric heater, right, in like pointed at your water lines and like a little fan motor heater pointed at your water lines and uh, your, your kind of quail area and plugged into something called a thermocube. And they make a thermocube. It's the same thing. It's on at 35, off at 45. It looks like an adapter plug. You plug it in your wall or your outlet, and then you plug your device into it. And when, when the temperature hits 35 degrees, a little internal uh, diode thing in it moves over, like a mercury switch, basically. And that says, okay, it's 35 degrees. Turn on. 
and it'll stay on, and by the time it gets to be 45 degrees in there, that little mercury switch will move over and shut off. And if it gets back down, and it, you know, if it goes down to 40, it won't come back on. It won't come back on. It'll all the way to 35. Click back on, click back off. Now, that may be in your climate cost prohibitive. It's just a suggestion. It's something you might want to look at uh, doing. Uh, the other option would be getting a good, high-quality kerosene heater and running it on a low setting and, and, and keeping it just warm enough in there to not freeze. Uh, those are all options. But probably heat tape is all that you're going to need. And like I said, if you have the big drums, as long as you need if you create a way where you can take the lid on the top off them, the whole top so you can fit them in there, uh, those floating stock tank heaters, and never let those things freeze up. And it would be really efficient because you're not going to have a lot of heat loss there. Uh, and, and so those are my best suggestions. My, like I said, my biggest concern is your, your fittings and right at the terminal end of where that water is being delivered being most likely to be uh, frozen. But if you keep your garage door shut at night, um, unless you're into really, really cold temperatures, even the residual heat from your house should, should make it only, uh, you know, certain times where any kind of supplemental heat is necessary. And probably only, you know, in the, you know, in the dark times of the, the day, you know, by the time you get the day and the sun's out, uh, if you have anything set on like 3545, it should be shut down. Again, I'll have the stock tanks and thermocube in the show notes. So I think those might help a lot of people with a lot of applications. It's dead simple technology and there's a lot of applications for it. Let's take another one. Hey, Jack, this is David Cohen from Central Florida. Uh, my question is, what advice would you give to someone that's looking to purchase their first ever AR-15? Uh, details. I've never owned a rifle of any kind. Uh, I do have handguns and a concealed weapons permit, um, but I'm more than slightly concerned about what the future may hold and um, whether or not I'll be able to acquire a rifle um, in the future. Um, I have some friends that have given me advice on what type of rifles I should look at, um, and I'm wondering whether you think it would be a good idea to start off with like a base model uh, uh, stock version, like a Smith & Wesson MP15, or whether to try and get something kind of custom built. Uh, we have a company locally called Spikes Tactical that uh, have a great reputation for building good rifles. And I really just don't know where to start and what to look for. Thanks for all you do, Jack. Have a great day. As much as I love guns, I am not the guy that's the expert on AR-15s. Um, I, I have an affinity for the gun. I have some really nice ones. I have some pretty stock ones. But I'm not like the gearhead that gets into every little nitpicking component and, you know, knows which particular, you know, buffer tube is the best one to use or whatever. Um, but here's kind of how I think about it. If you have the budget, going straight to kind of a custom built is a really cool thing to do because then you're going to have a gun that's not just anybody's gun, and you'll be able to you know hand that down uh, to future generations and what have you, and it's great. However, it can get quite pricey, and it, it's really not necessary. You mentioned a Smith and Wesson M and P. If somebody wants to buy something off the shelf that's really quality, made with uh, with just good components. Uh, the bolt, uh, the, 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 the gas tube, everything in the M&P is a, a damn good stock gun. Damn good stock gun. couple things I would think about, though. So, number one, if you want to put optics on it, the M&P 15, and I own one. It, I, I got it because I love iron sights on the AR. 
When, when I went to basic training, and they told me, and I was like cocky. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be an expert rifleman. I had no problem with that. But when they told me I was going to shoot these targets that were basically half man-sized targets. So man, cut a man's arms off, cut him off at the waist, and you got belly button to the top of his head, and a pop-up piece of plastic that size at 300 meters with an iron sight. I got a little bit concerned at first. I didn't. I didn't think it was. You know, that's a long way for iron sights. I can't. I don't know. If I can see that far. And uh, when I learned to shoot the M16 the Army way, which I almost see no one doing in the civilian market, you shoot the M16 the military way, your nose is touching that charging handle. That's how close you are to that rear sight. And I learned to do that, and I was hooked. So one of the first ARs I, I bought other than some really old stuff, was an M&P. And I liked that it had the removable carrying handle where you could put optics on it, but it had a standard front sight and a standard military spec rear sight because, honestly, I felt no need to put optics on it. If you are going to put optics on it, though, now what you have is that great big triangle-shaped front sight. So... <laughs> You may want to look at other options within the M&P lineup that don't have that big old triangle sight because it's not something that just comes off real easy if you're going to run optics on it. Now, the other thing about the M&P, it's a really great lower, um, and you can certainly uh, later have a custom shop do up an upper for you, and it's not a firearms purchase. That's one of the really great things about the AR platform is you can buy one gun and have multiple guns. So that would be another way to look at it. Here's another option for you. You could go out and consider possibly getting into the Warlock system with Frontier Tactical. So now what you need is an upper and a lower and their kit, and you can get barrels from them, and you can swap barrels rather than uppers. And you're kind of into an unlimited world. And I have a link to Frontier Tactical today with their Warlock uh, system. That's Nathan Love. I, I really think they're on to something with that. Uh, I have and that M&P I was just talking about. When I got my stuff from, from Nathan, you know, I just took that upper off of my M&P my 15. And I put the, I, I got an upper and the kit. So I didn't have my own upper. I got all already pre-installed from Nathan. At Frontier Tactical, I put that on on my uh, M. It just locked right on like any other upper would, and I pull out a 300 blackout, slide it in, and there's a little learning curve to learning how to use the cam lock, and boom, it's on there. And it takes two seconds, and that 300 blackout's off, and a 5.56 on. Two more seconds, that's off, and I've got a, a long heavyweight custom barrel in a 17.223 Remington which is a wildcat that you have to hand load, but it's basically, it's equivalent to a 17 Remington, but since it's in a 223 case, it works beautifully uh, in your standard AR magazines with the same bolt and what have you. So that's a that's another option to look at. And I'll tell you what, I think that the Warlock system and what Frontier Tactical is doing is great, and that the best time to step into it as, is with the first AR. Uh, and it's not just because he's my friend and I want to see him do well that I'm saying this, but if you think about it, when you do that, you'll have about the same money into that as a nice AR-15. The next time you want a different caliber, you're ahead financially, and it only gets better from there. 
And, I mean, the, the, the variety that you can shoot through there. And I think a lot of people that get an AR, they're going to start out with that 5.56. And one of the logical places people go and want to progress to is that 300 blackout. That's easy with the Frontier Tactical Warlock system. So I'd consider that if you're going to go with a base model, you know, here's what I'd say don't buy. Don't go buy the $650 Bushmaster, right? Just don't do that. It would make a lot of sense if you know anybody who really understands ARs to have them just go to the shop with you and help you pick out your first AR. Because the guy at the shop is there to sell you a gun. Your friend's there to help you buy the right gun. The shop guy has people come in all the time asking him all kinds of bullshit, walking out not buying a gun. So when you say, I'm here to buy a gun, a lot of times they don't believe you and they're, they're overselling things because they want to commit, complete a sale just like a guy selling a car. Where if you walk in there with a friend that knows what he's doing, they might do things with you like take the bolt apart and look at certain components, the stuff that I just can't get into. It's too nebulous uh, to get into. Um, but again, I, I, it, the, the fact that you mentioned the M&P made this easy because I own one. And I'm very, very, very satisfied with that gun. I have no complaints about it whatsoever. And I love that that M&P 15... Fits that that's that exact exact it's like sixteen and a quarter, just a little over to make sure of the barrel and length, because it really is a very compact AR. It, it's it, it's a wonderful gun, and I think you can probably pick one up here and there when you know when people aren't freaking out of, uh, over you know uh, gun sales uh, being taken away or whatever by Obama around a thousand to twelve hundred bucks. I think they retail for around. Fifteen, sixteen hundred bucks. No one sells guns at retail except during hysteria, and there's probably a lot of used ones out there that are gently used that are available in gun shows and what have you. Um, so those are kind of my thoughts there. But do think about what you want out of it, and if you want optics, you know, then even if you're going to start out with irons, go with something that's like a flat top with a uh, Picatinny mount front and rear sight. Rather than that old school military style, unless you like, I mean, I like it. That's why I have it. But uh, you know, whenever I think maybe I throw some optics on there, you, it works. But then you got this big old honking triangle thing showing up in the scope. Yeah, you see what I mean. So that's why you have more than one gun. <laughs> Hopefully uh, that helps you though. Let's go ahead and take one more today. Hi Jack. Um, Want to say thank you for everything you do. I'm a new listener to the podcast over the last couple weeks and. And uh, I think it's fantastic. I've been trying to pick up your back issues and that sort of thing. But I was listening to your caller podcast uh, August 18th, and the individual that called in, <clears throat> excuse me, about the police shooting in Baltimore, I think who he's talking about, if I'm not positive, is Corey Gaines. And if that's the case, then that needs to be researched because that individual that called in um, doesn't have his facts straight. Corey Gaines was shot and killed in a standoff over parking tickets, but it had to do with her goading the police on every single one of these parking tickets, putting videos on Facebook and social media, and then when when the police arrived at her house to serve a search or serve a warrant because she didn't show up for court, they were also looking for her boyfriend who was on a warrant. She loaded a shotgun, put it on social media, used her five-year-old son to goad the police, and was a standoff, like a nine-hour standoff or something. You'll have to do the research. But uh, but um, the police were not wrong in that, and I just wanted to bring that up. I wasn't sure if uh, – I'm sure you've heard about that one, but I believe that's what that gentleman was talking about. 
and the police were totally in the right on that situation. Just wanted to call and say hi, and, um, you know, I was uh, a little upset at that call because the individual, you know, uh, not all the facts are there. So, anyway, thank you so much for what you do once again, and uh, take care. Bye. Yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful to this caller for calling in for, for two totally different reasons. The first one, I just want to thank you for being a new listener and calling the show. I love hearing from new listeners. I love knowing that we're continuing to reach new people after over eight years and that when somebody finds this show after, and it's matured a lot in eight years, it's become uh, a much more, uh, I think, higher production value show over eight years. And it's also got a, a, an installed base of an audience who have you know been here from the beginning that have a lot of foreknowledge, a lot of information that, that they've, they've gained from the show. And when I talk about certain things, they relate it to five or six other things in the past, and it has context for them, where sometimes I worry that we've matured too much and gotten too maybe elitist and without without the, the general connotations of that word. But look at it compared to like a, uh, a Star Trek film, right? Okay, so I remember when The Next Generation came out, right? And then they, they did their thing, and then they were going to make a series of movies about it. And one of the things that the, the, the director of that movie said, the first one, was I wanted this to be a movie that a person who came to see it, who had watched the series and loved it, would love and, and have a lot of things in it for them. But I wanted a person off the street who didn't know anything about that series, who maybe didn't know anything about Star Trek, to watch this movie and have an appreciation for it and be able to enjoy it. And that's one of my concerns with the show, is that I continue to do it in a way that a person that can show up for the very first time on any episode and go, I got something out of that, I like this, and then if they want to go back into the archives, great. So thank you for you know letting me know that. The other reason I want to thank you is, last week when I took that call from that person, I, I did point out that we can't just assume that every single person that gets shot by a cop was like some random victim that did nothing wrong that shouldn't have been shot, that sometimes shootings are justified. In this case, it certainly was. And what I said was, I'm not familiar with that. And I felt like I made a huge error because I actually had been aware of that shooting. It was so cut and dry to me that I didn't know some of the things that you heard from the caller and you're about to hear now from a news story on it. Uh, I didn't know she was goading the police. away Because once I heard, she had a shotgun, she threatened to shoot the police, and then she fired at them before they fired at her. I said, this is suicide by cop. Right, and you can say whatever you want about you know parking tickets and the state extorting people for money. Sure, I agree with that ethically and morally, but you know the same people will make that argument. You would never do what this woman did. The guy that made the phone call, if the police came to your house with a warrant for parking tickets, you'd say, okay, let's go. I'm not going to fight you over this. I'm not going to be stupid about it. You're not going to make it worse. You know, because you know it's really a, it's an inconvenience in your day. Maybe you'll be in jail for a day or two. You know, but it's not a criminal offense unless you turn it into one. And you're not going to point a loaded shotgun and fire at. Yeah, you want it here? I'm going to play you the news clip, but I'll come back and finish this piece up. What are they trying to do? Corinne Gaines posted this video to her Instagram account yesterday, Good. talking to her son during an armed standoff with police. Do you want to go out there? Police now say they asked Facebook to deactivate the account. Gaines was posting video of the operation as it unfolded. Followers were encouraging her not to comply 
with negotiators' request that she surrender peacefully. Police defend their handling of the fatal standoff. Gaines, they say, used a legally purchased 12-gauge pistol-grip shotgun to hold them at bay, showing it as soon as they arrived to serve a warrant for minor charges. Police say after six hours of negotiation, she threatened to kill them. An officer fired first. She in turn fired several rounds at us, a double-hot buck. No officer was struck. Our personnel returned three rounds of fire, striking her and killing her. Gaines' five-year-old son was wounded by whom police say unknown and no confirmation he was used as a shield. We don't know at this moment in time precisely where that child was at at the moment those shots were fired. Gaines' motive, unknown. We do know she suffered from lead poisoning, which can interfere with rational thinking. According to records from a lawsuit she'd filed against several landlords, a doctor said Corinne was exposed to a sea of lead when she lived in lead-contaminated housing. She does have a neurodevelopmental disability and brain damage. And her mother said in a disposition she didn't want to listen. She has poor decision-making skills. I think she needs guidance. All characteristics advocates say of the effects of lead poisoning. Police, based on information they had, say they consulted yesterday with mental health professionals during the barricade. No further detail was provided. I do want to make one correction to what I said based on uh, what I knew up until I listened to that clip with you guys. It sounds like in that clip that she did not fire first. It doesn't really matter given the entire situation. I want you to take this into the totality of the count here. You have a woman with a loaded shotgun screaming she's going to kill the police in a multi-hour standoff. And it, what's, what's heartbreaking is what, what, that, what she's saying to that child at the beginning. I don't know if you can catch that there the way that came across. She said, what are they trying to do? And the little boy says, they're trying to kill us. Now, the police that were there to serve that warrant were not there to kill her. They were there to arrest her and take her in and, and, and put her in front of a judge and say, hey, you owe this money. What are you, you going to do about it? And, and she would have either agreed to pay. They probably, she probably would have paid nothing. They probably would have let her out in a day or two. And it would have went, would have went on continuously this way. And they, they, no one goes to jail for the rest of their life. And eventually they might get tired of you not paying, and they'll throw you in jail for two or three weeks, and they'll give you a certain amount of money a day for serving time in county jail, and they'll let you go. And it's not a criminal offense. It's a... It's a kind of a, I guess it is a criminal offense because failure to appear on warrant. Um, but it's not anything that really messes up your life. Now, it, it, do I think the state should be able to imprison someone at all for not paying a fee for where they leave their car? No, I don't. I absolutely do not believe that. But that is the way things are. And again, the people that would go after the cops in this story, you would never do this. You would never have your child sitting next to you with police with guns outside, grab a shotgun over something this stupid. You have to be mentally defective in this. Now, what I've heard people say is, well, she wasn't going nowhere. She was in an apartment. She's not Harry Houdini. Why not just back off and just lay siege to the place until she comes out? Take the child out, and that's a perfectly reasonable argument. That's a perfectly Okay, because here's, here's what I want to point out. What if they had tried that? What if 18, 20 hours into this, that lady took that gun, shot that kid in the head, turned it on herself, and blew her brains out? What would you say then? Oh, the cops should have went in and... I mean, they had all that time. They should have tried to do something. This is ridiculous. That child's blood is on their hands. Because do you know what's worse than being a three-year-old kid and seeing your mother shot in front of you? 
being a three-year-old kid and being shot by your crazy-ass mother. This woman was mentally defective. No sane, rational person does this. This was not some, you know, uh, code pink theatric uh, defiance of authority, right? This wasn't something like uh, like a guy I respect, Adam Kokesh, would do. Sometimes he does some dumb things, but he wouldn't do this anything this dumb, right? This is insanity. Now, let me tell you how you feel when you're dealing with an insane person as a police officer. I'd like to get you some help, okay? But you can't stay here, so you're going to go get some help. And if you try to kill me in the, 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 in the commission of my duty, I will kill you back. Not because I want to, but because I don't want to die. And this is my job, and I have to do this. And now that it's not just about you, now that there's a child involved, and, oh, she would never do that. What? I, I, one person said it to me when I was discussing What the hell do you mean she would never do that? Any rational person would never have done any of the shit that she did. Taunting police officers with a shotgun on Instagram over parking ticket warrants. And screaming you're going to kill them and telling your little child they're trying to kill you when all you have to do to de-escalate... Now, she might have believed they were trying to kill her. She might have been that far gone mentally. I don't know. But this this is very akin to a phenomenon called suicide by cop, and it happens. Um, this is a sick person, and it's sad. It's tragic. And it could be from, you know, lead poisoning does weird things to the brain. It really does. Um, or it could be because she's just off. I don't know. But... When you're dealing with someone like that, your goal is to help them up to the point they have a deadly weapon pointed at you and you start screaming stuff like, I'm going to kill you. I want you to put yourself in an officer's position. You finally are given the, the order. Okay, we got a kid in there. This has been too long. This is not working. We're going to go in and try to take this. And It's a gun up. He's already done all this crazy shit. He says, I'm going to kill you. Bang. Then she fires two, two shots off. Another officer fires three shots in her, kills her. What would you have done differently? Well, I would have never went. Well, that's not how the system works. All right, we all have to operate within some level of freaking reality to how this this situation works. If you want a, a a poster person for excessive use of force by the police in, in a way that's that that, that that is unethical, immoral, illegal, etc., this is not it. And we, again, those of us who are willing to speak up against inappropriate use of force by the police, against corruption by the police, against illegal actions by the police, and at times what I believe to be murder by police officer, okay, we cannot, we cannot take people like this and put them into this other category and say this is another incident where the cops are wrong. Or we have no, we have not a shred of credibility. At this point, this is where we stand on the side with law enforcement on that side of that blue line and say, tough situation, really shitty, tragic. The men did what they had to do in the situation that they were presented with. And if you don't believe that, what you've lost is a sense of reality and pragmatism. And I'll ask you again. If the police were coming to your apartment or house, you had a child with you, not even your child, just any little child that could be injured in this, And what they wanted you for was not paying a few parking tickets. And you knew that. And you had a gun. 
And you knew that if you if you just open the door and let them in, that they're going to take you away and take you down to county jail, and you're going to sit there for a little while and go see the judge and tell him why you ain't paid your ticket and give a soft story and get out that evening probably, okay? Would you pull a gun on those police officers and start saying you're going to kill them, and would you tell this kid those guys out there are trying to kill you? And every damn one of you that's angry with me right now just said, well, no, I wouldn't do that. Okay. Okay. And what would you do if for any reason, no matter what it was, you ended up in a situation with a person clearly irrational, behaving like a crazy maniac, screaming they're going to kill you and pointing a shotgun at you, and you have a means to defend yourself? Put it another way. Let's say a guy walks up the stairs, knocks on her door, She opens the door and he says, hi, I'm here with, uh, I don't know, Joe Blow's vacuum cleaning service. Can I, uh, can I show you uh, my vacuum? And she says, well, hold on. And she gets a gun and points it at him and screams, I'm going to kill you. Okay? And he happens to have a gun on him and he pushes the shotgun aside and shoots her. Even though he was in front of her house... Would you fault him, and even if she was crazy, and even if the gun wasn't loaded, would you say it was a bad shoot? How does he know it's not loaded? How do you know a shotgun? Now, this one, it was loaded. You see what I'm saying? Like, we have to use some damn sense. You guys know me. I will tear the ass of a bad cop harder than just about anybody on planet Earth. But in the end, these are just men and women doing their job. And this whole, you know, extreme anarcho, extreme libertarian viewpoint of, Everything a cop does is evil, and every cop is evil, and without the evil cop, the evil state couldn't enforce it. They're the, the state's attacks dog. It is a complete irrational argument. It ignores the reality that we live in. Right? You know the idiot response to, to anarchism where the person says, well, just go to Somalia then. If you're that person, that's probably a good response to you, except they should pick a different place because Somalia is not anarchy. They have a freaking government, and the government's the problem. Okay? I'm not defending the state here. I'm saying that we all live in this, this super state, the United States, and we all accept certain realities about it, even if we don't approve of them. And, and, and the, the, the elitist asshole that would still say that this woman didn't deserve to be shot under the circumstances is using shit from the state every day. You're using the state's roads. You're using electricity, you're paying tax on the electricity, you're probably paying income tax, you're probably paying... And you'd say, well, I have to, or they'll come get me. No shit. No shit. And we all come up, and most people that go to become police officers don't say, you know what, I'm going to grow up and be a police officer so I can go beat the shit out of innocent people. That's an asinine statement. Like most people... When they're, when they're brought up in this system, they believe that overall the system's good and despite its flaws, it's run by people doing the best that they can and they look for a job and a career and they think this is something I can do and they go with the intent of helping and protecting people. Even if that's not how it works out, that's the intent that they go in with and they do the best they can in a shitty situation. And we should call for the frickin' heads of those that break their oath. But if we can't discern the difference between those that break their oath, if we can't discern the difference between those people and those that do the best they can in these situations and do a good job in many ways and do help people in many ways, then we have no credibility. 
We have no credibility. And those that say stupid shit, because I've seen the comments, he's licking the boot of the state. Stupid shit. You're an idiot. I can't even help you. You're a moron. You're an absolute freaking idiot. There's no helping you. You have lost touch with reality. And I'm not the hypocrite. You are. Because if you feel that strongly about it, you should be living in the woods somewhere in a shack and not ever touching any public resources at all. And you should never pay a dime of income tax. And when you drive your car, if you want to do 200 miles an hour, that's what you should do. And you shouldn't stop when the police go to pull you over because you're a freeman and you're allowed to be one. Right? When you fight for liberty, when you fight for freedom, you also have to do it with your scruples intact. As my father used to say, you know, you had to use your head for more than a hat rack. Well, there's something else my father used to say. I've heard it passed around here and there, but in my early years, he was the only, he might be the original source of it for all I know. And these, these purists, these people that, that shit on police officers in a situation, these cops didn't want to be in that situation when they went to work today. And I guarantee you the cops that went to the front door, the reason she was able to grab a shotgun and point at them, they didn't go there thinking they were going to kick the doors in and shit. They just were serving a warrant for traffic tickets. Ma'am, sorry, you're going to have to come take care. I'll kill you. Right? Right. Those of you that attack those officers and say they're killers and murderers in this situation, my father's saying fits you perfect. You talk like a man with a paper asshole. And if you don't get the meaning of that, it's probably part of your problem and while you're doing it in the first place. With that, I want to give you my Jack hack today. And this one actually has to do with Amazon. And it's something I noticed and thought a lot of people probably never noticed this. So I was ordering something recently on Amazon that I'm like, I don't really need it right away, right? But a lot of times you'll see free one-day shipping, free two-day shipping, or free standard shipping. There'll be three or four-day shipping. And usually you get the one or the two, whatever one's free that's quickest, because even though I don't need it, why would I not get it when I don't have to pay for it? Why would I take three-day shipping when I can get two-day shipping for the same price and it's nothing, Right? Because you're a Prime member or whatever, okay? So I was ordering some stuff, and basically it was some uh, some more swing top bottles. I got a bunch of mead to bottle, but I know I'm not going to get to it this weekend, so I don't really need it until like next week, right? So I look and like I'm thinking that very thing to myself: Why the hell would anybody pick the slower shipping rate, even though I don't? And I see this thing, and it says if you use standard shipping with this order, you get a free um, $4.99 credit to Prime Pantry. So you'll pay me four five bucks in credit to get a little bit longer shipping when I don't need the item. And I've read the conditions, and you can only use it one per order. So you can do this multiple times. I have like five of them, but you can only use one per order. So what's what's Prime Pantry? Prime Pantry is a whole bunch of stuff that's what it sounds like for your pantry. It's food stuffs. And you can go search for things in Prime Pantry. And the way Prime Pantry works, since it's all low-dollar stuff, instead of free shipping in two days, you get your two-day shipping, and it's it's basically... $4.99. Same price as the credit. You see where this is going? And there's a it's a pretty big box. And you can order anything that'll fit. Like, it'll tell you how much percentage is less than your box. You can fill your box with all your pantry staples, all your foodstuffs. And as long as there's room in the box, you can add it to the box for no shipping. 
So what it does, that little credit, then you can place that big order for all your kitchen essentials and stuff like that, all your foods and whatever that you're going to order for this month or quarter from Amazon and get free shipping on it when normally you'd pay five bucks, simply by letting another order for another item that you don't really need right away take three or four days instead of two days to get to you. I think that's pretty cool. And I think plenty of people all the time are ordering something on Amazon And they just see the free, I'll just take the two day, and they don't even read it. So that's a good thing to know, because without knowing it, you can't use it. If you think that's valuable, if you think the show's valuable, if I entertained you today, if I educated you, if I challenged you today, consider supporting the Survival Podcast as a member support brigade member. To do that, just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on members to learn more there. For five bucks a month or $50 a year, it's up to you. You will get discounts to over 60 companies that are providing things that you're probably buying anyway. And if you use two or three of them throughout the year, it will probably put all the money that you've put into MSB back in your pocket and you get your membership for free. If you use it five, six, seven times, it'll make your membership profitable, and you'll be supporting the show. So if you think, think the show's worth 20 cents an episode, consider becoming a member of the Survival Podcast today. You get a lot of great benefits. And remember, I do support law enforcement. I do support military. I do support first responders. If you've done any of those things, active duty or prior service, and you want to be a member, you can get a discount. Just send an email to jack at the survivalpodcast.com. Put TSPC service discount in the subject line and tell me about your service in one or two sentences before, not after you join. I'll give you a discount on a product that's already really great. And I'll tell you what I think is awesome. I think it's awesome that we do have law enforcement officers out there that get it. And this is how I know. This is how I know. And this is why I will speak up for law enforcement when they're doing the right thing. My MSB is loaded with police officers. I'm the guy that comes out when one of these cops does something really bad and calls them an oath-breaking piece of shit and then beats up all the officers that knew about it and didn't step in to do anything about it. And they still listen, and they still not only support the show, but they support it financially. Let me tell you, those are the guys you want doing the job. The reality is if we had a stateless society, we would not be free from having any sort of a police force, if you want to call it that way. Remember, no rulers, not no rules. Some entity, some group would fill that function of protecting and serving. Our goal as anarchists is not to get rid of the protectors and the servers, but to displace the system that gives them unfair protections and has them out enforcing laws that they shouldn't be enforcing in the first place. And I say that, and they still come, and they still listen, and they still support us. Think about that the next time you say something bad about police officers in general. Those men have honor. It's about time that we, on the side of anarchy and libertarianism, exhibit that same level of honor. I'm just saying. All right, the other way you can support this show is by shopping Amazon through tspaz, T-S-P-A-Z dot com. If you go to tspaz dot com, you can click a link and go on to Amazon and get whatever you're looking for. You can also see the item of the day. I review something every day on Amazon for you today. Today, I have Hoosier Farms Paprika. Survival guy with paprika. Hey, man, if you're going to store food, you're going to cook food. And I love to cook. And I love to make good meals. I make such good meals, we don't go out to eat much. It's better for us. It costs less money. Hey, money is a survival topic. You win with money, you win in life. Okay? Well, here's how this all works. You cook more at home. You go out less. You save money. You put money in your pocket. But with seasoning, spices, and herbs, 
One of the reasons I always buy in bulk is because there's no good reason not to. You can go buy shitty paprika for two or three bucks for a little bitty bottle of it, and it's not much to do, you can't do much with it at the grocery store. You can get this Hoosier Farms Hungarian paprika. It's good stuff. It's, it's fantastic. You get a pound of it for 12 bucks on Amazon, and then you have it for a long time. Now, paprika, I use so much of it that basically it stores well enough. I just leave it in a big jug that it comes in, and I fill up a little half-pint jar and keep that in my spice drawer. All my spices are in half-pint jars. And whenever it's empty, I just pull it down and fill it back up. But things like thyme and oregano and other spices that I do the same thing with and herbs I do the same thing with, when they come in, I put them all in a half-pint jars, and I, I seal them in my vacuum sealer, and I put them away in the jars, vacuum-sealed jars. And then I just take a new one out. Well, if you do that, what happens is you're able to go out and find the high-quality stuff that has good flavor and makes it worth having, and you're able to put it away, and it, it stores for years. And when you're storing food, you don't store anything to cook the food with. doesn't make any sense. But instead of spending, you know, if you went out and bought paprika in the grocery store, second-rate shit, you'd spend for a pound 24, 25 bucks by the time it's over with buying it in little bottles. So you're saving 10, 12 bucks. You're just buying it in up front. You know, maybe a year supply for you, maybe six months for me. And you do that across all your herbs and spices. Well, you do that across all your herbs and spices, you put a hundred, hundred and fifty dollars a year back in your pocket and have better quality and you never run out. You take your, your storage and you look at it like anything else you store. And okay, I'm going to go get another jar of paprika and I, oh, well, I'm down to two jars. Better order another pound. Pull them forward and rotate them. Eat what you store and store what you eat. Eat what you, you know, store what you cook with and, 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 and eat what you cook with, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but that's a, that's a really great, simple little one there. And paprika is such a wonderful, uh, spice. I don't know you really call it a spice or an herb because it's a pepper ground up. But I use it in like every mix, uh, every seasoning mix that I make. Uh, it just does wonderful things. So there's your, uh, Amazon item of the day. Also, remember, you can support the entire community by doing business with each other. You can do that at tspbiz.com, our business directory, where you can uh, find other members of this community and be found by other members of this community and uh, be featured on this show for as little as five bucks, right, as we go through the listings here. And today's supporting uh, TSP uh, directory member is Techstar Genetics. They breed herding border collies from top imported lines and great Pyrenees livestock guardian dogs. They are located in Central Texas. You can give them a call at 979-229-6638. Really great folks. And that brings us to our closing song today. Our closing song today is called Society, and it's by Eddie Vedder. Now, when I first heard, I got this today from somebody in email, said, hey, you might want to play this on a song. Eddie Vedder, I'm like, I sort of know that name, but I'm not really sure if I know that name. I'm not, I'm just not sure um, and I, 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 not really somebody that follows pop music or anything like that. And I listened to his voice in this song and I thought, I know that voice, but I don't know where from. And Eddie Vedder was a lead singer, still is, I guess, of Pearl Jam. Um, which is kind of a cool band, right? So, uh, but this song is from a solo album and he did this for a movie that came out a few years ago called Into the Wild. Now, the song is, I'll let it speak for itself. This is one I can search. I can do a show on this song, analyzing the lyrics in it. But when I, when I found this song, I'm like, where's that from? And I look up this Into the Wild is the name of the, uh, the movie. And I've never seen this movie. Apparently, it's a really popular movie. But the, the basics, without spoiling anything, is that there's a guy that kind of like 
gets to where he feels like people suck, a short version, and goes off and lives on his own. It's like this, this story of wilderness and survival and uh, isolation and stuff. But by the end of it, he realizes that the, the elements can be cruel, too. I haven't seen it. I've just read the synopsis of it. And I, I don't want to say any more than that because it would maybe ruin it if you want to see it. I'm probably going to pick this up. It's on Amazon for you know download video. I'm going to see if it's on uh, Prime Streaming. It probably isn't. I'll probably have to buy it for five bucks or whatever. I'll rent it for a couple dollars or something. But it definitely looks like a good movie to watch. I have a link in the show notes where you can find it as well today. But in the end, he realizes that he can only ever really be happy if he comes to a point where he can be with other people. And you would think that kind of wipes out this whole song. This just whole song. Society, I hope you don't miss me. Right? And society's based on, we have agreed to greed in society. Right? That um, it invalidates it because he ends up coming back. Well, to me, what I thought was cool, I thought this was really cool when I heard about what this movie is about because I already had my angle for you guys on this song. We have to divest ourselves of society in some ways, but we can't run away and hide. We have to exist parallel to the system. We have to displace these systems. We have to be an example of the, to those that are still in the system of what we can do without being controlled and contrived by the system. We have to be an example of what liberty looks like. We have to be an example of what freedom looks like. We have to be willing to stand and say, that cop is an oath-breaking piece of shit, but this one, even though I don't like the job he's being asked to do, he's doing the best he can, and I respect that. But why don't we stop him from having to do that shit instead of blaming him for it? We have to be outside of society, but within view of society, or we can't influence people to choose to walk the path that we're walking. Society, I hope you don't miss me. Because I'm not going away. I'm going to stay here and keep being a pain in your ass. That's how I'm signing off on the show today, and I mean it figuratively and metaphorically, and I mean it literally. Jack Spirico, the survival podcast in this community. Society, we're not leaving. We're just leaving you. With that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. It's a mystery to me We have agreed With which we have agreed And you think you have to want more than you Till you have it all, you won't be free Society, you're a crazy breed I hope you're not lonely without me When you want more than you have, you think you need you think more than you want, your thoughts begin to bleed. I think I need to find a bigger place. Cause when you have more than you think, you need more space. Society, you're crazy breed. I hope
hope you're not lonely without me. Society, crazy and deep. I hope you're not lonely without me. Is more, but if less is more, how you keep in score? It means for every point you make, your level drops. Kind of like you're starting from the top, and you can't do that. Society, you're a crazy breed. I hope you're not lonely without me. Society, crazy and deep. I hope you're not lonely without me. Society, have mercy on me. I hope you're not angry if I disagree. Society, crazy and deep. I hope you're not lonely.